Yeah, what just happened? I mean, we did things, <laughs> all kinds of mistakes. And it's not good for the confidence when things in technology don't work. <laughs> but they're working now, I think. I think, let's see. Maybe they're not. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe they are. Who knows? <laughs> all right, how about that great giveaway? Wow. Glory be to God for that. There's so many people helped out with that. So many people did so much hard work, so many hundreds of hours of work. Uh, to get that done, and I think we truly did benefit the community. Um, I wasn't able to be here because for the second year in a row, for some reason, they've decided to schedule my robotics team's first meeting in Little Rock. You know, for the I wasn't able to be here, but uh, when I came through at about 6 o'clock this morning, there were already people lined up all the way from the door all the way to the end of the building at 6 o'clock waiting for that. So we are truly doing a good thing, good work for God, and to, to God be the glory for that. Um, next thing. This is kind of a youth thing. On Get your calendars out because on October 30th, that's a Sunday, the Sunday before Halloween, what we'd like to do here at the church in the evening from about 5.30 to 7.30 is to have a fall festival for the kids. Now, we're going to do games, candy giveaway, that kind of thing. We'd just like to have a time for us to come together. We've done one of these kind of in the past before. We'd like to do that again on October 30th. So we're going to get some information out to your life group leaders so be looking for that. Life group leaders, it should be coming to you this week sometime. We'd like for each life group to kind of be in charge of a game or two and then bringing candy and stuff like that for the kids. should be a great time for those kids. A couple of weeks ago, Eddie Bean was uh, doing Wednesday night Bible class, and he told us to, uh, that we needed to get out of our comfort zone. Well, here I am. <laughs> in fact, I think I'm so far out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone is somewhere in Nashville right now. <laughs> So, but uh, I want to tell you about how Benjamin got me to do this. Uh, it's a pretty good story. About six weeks ago, this has been arranged for about six weeks. About six weeks ago, uh, I contacted Benjamin by text and asked him uh, if we could change the way we did the, the, Lord, um, did the communion because I was in charge of the communion prayers. I wanted to know if we could do the, the offering first, get all the kids out of here, and then I could talk for a few minutes about the crucifixion. Jesus, uh, Benjamin came back and said, well, I don't know about that. that that's, that's a lot. And he said, but, and then it flashed into my head. He said, that would make a great sermon. And so I'm thinking, I don't know if you, how many of you have seen Star Wars, but Return of the Jedi, that thing where the, the rebels, they come out of hyperspace, they're going to attack the new Death Star, and they realize that they're waiting for them. And that general guy that looks kind of like a catfish, he says, it's a trap. <laughs> and so... <laughs> That's exactly what I was feeling right there. <laughs> but there's nothing you can do about it because, you know, I've got my cell phone. We've been texting. He knows I'm looking at my cell phone, so he's got my attention. I can't just throw my cell phone and, and run away or anything. And so here comes the next line, which I knew was coming. It said, by the way, I'll be out on September 25th. Could you preach? <laughs> yes, I can preach. So... That's why I'm here. Um, I'm glad that I didn't get too many hard stares or anything because of this. I know this is a little bit different than we do things, you know, having the communion after the uh, after this sermon. But I think it'll make sense because our, yeah, it works. Our lesson today is on the crucifixion, the physical death of Jesus of the Messiah. And the reason I wanted to do this is because I think that so often, we don't think of God, we don't think of Jesus as someone who actually came down to earth and lived as a man. 
We like to think that God, God sent Jesus down here and that Jesus, when he got here, was just God here. That he kind of floated 60s and off the ground and kind of just kind of went around like this the whole time. You know, you know white robe, beauty sash, all that stuff. You know, just, you know that he never, never got tired, he never got hungry, that he never had body odor, that he never stumped his toe, that he never did any of those things that we do as human beings, the experiences that we have. And I think that's, a, that's wrong because he did all of those things. He experienced joy, sorrow. Uh, he just, everything that we have, everything that we experience as human beings, he was here and he did that. And so I wanted us to, to go through this and look at the physical death of Jesus on the cross because I think that will improve our understanding of Jesus the man, the God that became man that lived here. And the story starts for us with the Last Supper. And we're going to use the the verses uh, after that in Luke 22, if you want to be turning there. But after the Last Supper, Jesus had, it was Passover time, Jesus had just made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, had preached in front of uh, the temple, had angered the entire Sanhedrin, and then left and come here to the Last Supper, the upper room. Now he had been, this had been all day, this was happening in the evening, and so he had the Last Supper with his disciples, and then they left the upper, the upper room with the Last Supper, went out to Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus prayed. Now this is nighttime, and it says in Luke 22, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is an interesting thing. His sweat was like blood falling to the ground. There are two explanations for this. The first is pretty simple, that he was just uh, sweating profusely and that the sweat was running down off of him like water, like blood. But there's another one. There's a medical condition. It's rare, but it happens in times of extreme emotional stress. There's a condition called hematidrosis, where actually the capillaries near your hair follicles burst, and the blood leaks into the hair follicles, and it comes out of the sweat glands with the sweat. And so it actually looks like you are bleeding and sweating at the same time. So science actually backs up this scripture where he could have looked like he was sweating blood. So it's just another case where science actually backs up our scripture. After that, he is arrested by the Sanhedrin. They take him to the house of the high priest, and he's tried there. There he acknowledges that he is the son of God, and he is convicted of blasphemy. This sentence carries uh, with it, if it was a true sentence, would be death. And so, but at this time, there's a divide between the governments of the time. There's the Roman overlords that, that are in charge of everything, and they've reserved for themselves the death penalty. And then you have the Jewish courts, which are in charge of everything. The Romans were just basically concerned with keeping the peace and collecting taxes. That's what they wanted. And, but at this time, the, once he's been convicted, the Sanhedrin can't ex- execute him. So they take him to Pontius Pilate. The other reason they didn't want to execute him because it's just a political hot potato. I mean, he is... No matter what they do, they, they're going to be, and they're going to be angering a large faction of the population. 
And so they take him to Pontius Pilate and say, hey, maybe he'll execute him. We'll tell him that he's a rebel, that he's uh, stirring up trouble. Maybe Pontius Pilate will execute him. But Pontius Pilate ex- um, examines him and says, no, no, he's not, he hasn't done anything worthy of being crucified for. And so they take him and say, well, why don't you take him to Herod Antipas and see if that'll happen. And so they take him to Herod Antipas. And Herod says, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with this. No, 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 this is too much. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having anything to do with this. Take him back to Pontius Pilate. And so they take him back to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate there sees that this crowd is not going to be swayed. There's nothing that could be done to stop him. Now, so they ask, he gives them their, apparently at this time, they had a tradition at the Passover, they would release one of the prisoners to the public again that they've had in jail. And so he says, all right, here's your tradition. Well, let's, we'll do this. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Now, Barabbas was in jail for insurrection and murder. And it's not surprising that they had somebody in jail for this. Consider this. This is the time of Passover. What is the Passover a celebration of? The Passover, the Passover is a celebration of the time when the people of Israel were freed from their Egyptian captors, from their Egyptian masters. This is exactly the same situation that the children of Israel were in again. Instead of the Egyptians being in charge of them, the Romans were in charge. Can you imagine being a Roman at this time where you've got all this stirring up, all these people who are remembering this one event, the defining event of their people was being freed from slavery. Can you imagine all these people that are rising up at this time? And, you know, if not, they're doing anything physical, but they're at least talking about it. They're angry, and they're, they're rising up. And so I'm sure you're going to have lots and lots of people every time rising up against the Romans at the time of Passover. And it happened consistently to the fact that they actually rebelled against the Romans and was finally, they were overthrown and destroyed, and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So it happened. It happened every year. And so they had people in jail for that right now. And so they asked... The people, the Jews, they ask, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas instead of Jesus. They want Barabbas because Barabbas is the kind of Messiah that they want. They want a leader that's willing to fight and probably kill because he's in jail for murder. He's, he's willing to fight and kill Romans. He's willing to fight against the people that are oppressing them. Jesus was not. So they take Jesus and they release Barabbas. The scriptures are pretty terse on this matter. Um, I skipped a slide, but it's okay. (laughs) We'll go back for just a minute. All right, back to the high priest, because this is important. Uh, When they take him to the high priest and they try him, what they did is, it says here in Mark 14, then some began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is actually the first physical um, assault that he's had. So he's after he's tried, they beat him. They, well, first, they spit on him, which is there's two things here. They're completely rejecting him. Just think about how angry with someone you have to be to spit in their face. I mean, they are literally rejecting him in the most, the basest way possible. And then they beat him. They physically beat him up. Smash his face, bloody his nose, bruise eyes. They just beat him. And then they take him to, to, to Pontius Pilate, and he's convicted. And then they release Barabbas, and Jesus is turned over for crucifixion. Now, the one thing that happens before every crucifixion is a flogging or a scourging. 
the four verses, I'm gonna, they're all four of them are up here from all the four Gospels. It's just amazing how clinical it talks about this. How there, you can tell, to me, I can read it. They don't want to mention how emotionally distressful or, or how, how much feelings they had about this. And it says in Matthew 27, Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. In Mark 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, a pilot released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. In Luke 23, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one that they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And then John, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Part of me, when we're talking about this, uh, this part of Jesus' execution, I wanted just to show a clip from this movie. But I thought that in front of a group, there may be children here, and it's just a little bit too intense to show in front of a crowd. Um, but I will talk about the filming of this movie. Uh, the actor who pr- portrayed Jesus in this movie was Jim Caviezel. And when they were filming this scene, the way they filmed it is they actually physically chained him to a post, which is what would happen, and they laid him down, and then behind him, so they wouldn't actually get hit, they put a board behind it, so they wouldn't be hit. And then they had the two actors playing the Roman legionnaires actually with functional flagellum, which we'll read to in just a minute, and they would hit that board. And it would make a sound, and then the actor would flinch, and it would look like he was being whipped. Well, during the filming of this, the, the director, Mel Gibson, said, why don't we try to change the angle and get a little bit different shot so it looks a little bit different. And so the actors who were whipping the board swung, and they missed the board, and they actually hit Jim Caviezel on the back. Hit him one time and made a 14-inch laceration across his back from one hit. Jim Caviezel in an interview said that it felt like he'd been struck by lightning. He couldn't breathe and it hurt for the rest of the day from one lash. What they would do when they scourged someone, they would tie them to this post, strip them naked, and then whip them from the shoulders to the knees. They would do this multiple, multiple times. The goal of this scourging was to actually bring the person close to death. They would beat them almost to death. And what they do, they would use this thing called the flagellum. What it was, it was a diabolical instrument. It had a wooden handle. It had braided leather thongs. And they would have metal balls that were affixed to the end of it. And also had pieces of bone that were sharp. Also tied into it. The goal of this was threefold. When they whip someone, first it would bruise them. The balls hitting the back would bruise the person. The leather thongs were square cut, and they would lacerate the skin. And finally, the shards of bone would grab and pull. And so they wouldn't stop until the person was almost dead. And so there was laceration after laceration after laceration after laceration. And as it cut completely through the skin, then it would start to cut into the muscle underneath. And as the skin is completely shredded, then the pieces of bone start to do their work. They start to pull those shreds of skin away. They turn his back into a tangled mass of blood. Blood loss was significant. At this point, they're thinking that approximately 20% blood loss in your entire body. That's When you give blood, you donate about 10% of your blood when you give blood. You can imagine 20%. This was set the stage for something called hypovolemic shock, which just simply means you don't have enough blood volume. Your blood pressure goes down really far, and you're brought almost to death. 
Now, after they whipped him, they put his clothes back on him, and they did something else. They made him carry his cross. Can you imagine having to carry your cross 600 yards to the place of execution after having been whipped almost to death? This could be two different ways because the, the Romans used and this time period, we don't know which one Jesus experienced. And it really doesn't matter because the output, of course, is the same. But there were two different types of crosses that were used in this time. There was the Latin cross, which is the one we think of. It looks like a lowercase t. Okay? If that one was used, then they would have to carry the entire cross. And a cross would be about 300 pounds. Um, that one, you wouldn't have to carry the entire way because you could let it drag behind you, but you would have to drag that cross for 600 yards to your execution. If it was the other kind of cross, which is called the towel cross, it's just shaped like a letter T. If that was the case, then the center post, the stipe, would be left out at the execution site, and you would only be required to carry the cross beam, which would weigh about 70 or 80 pounds. But still, they would lash, it to, lash you to it. They would just, in the crucifixion position, they would tie your wrist to the post like this. And then they would make you walk that 600 yards. Think about this. It says here in Matthew 27, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Why would you force someone else to carry the cross when that's part of the humiliation of this execution? Because he couldn't physically do it. Imagine what it would be like if you're tied to this cross beam and you're so exhausted that they, they finally stop you and get someone else to cross. Think about this. Your hands are tied. What happens if you fall? How are you going to fall? You're going to fall on your face with no way to stop yourself. Let's think about How many times must he have fallen before they finally got somebody else to carry it for him? But they did. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine and drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. The gall mixed in was also known as myrrh. It acted as kind of a little bit of an analgesic, which was just kind of a painkiller, because they knew that it was excruciating. This, this was truly uh, diabolical. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Again, you see that this description is just very cut and dried. There's no emotion tied to it whatsoever. And there's not any description here because this is something that they saw all the time. They saw people being crucified consistently throughout the time because... That was the way that the Romans executed. That's why they kept order. They would execute rebels, and they would let them hang there, and you would walk by, and you would see them. And you're like, I don't want to be like that guy. So I want you to, to take a moment. If you have one of these, I want you to get it out. It's a ballpoint pen. If you have one, just go ahead. A lot of you ladies, you have one in your purse. Or just any kind of pen. I want you to look at this. So you've all used one. A ballpoint pen is almost exactly the same size and shape of the nails that they used. Just imagine a head on that pen 
And that's basically one of the spikes they used to crucify. Why don't you take that? Why don't you press it against your wrist and see how far you can push it before you stop because it hurts too bad? And yes, I said wrist. Uh, the scripture says that he was uh, nailed through the hands, but this, this works because in the ancient and medieval times, the wrist was considered part of the hand. And they, some, some people smarter than me have done some studies, and they don't think that a hand through the palm would have been able to support the human weight, but a, but a nail through the wrist would have been able to support the, the weight of the human body. There's one problem with being nailed through the wrist, because they would do it in the center. Right going down the center of your arm, right through that channel, is something called the median nerve. It's the nerve that controls all the movements of your hand, all the feeling of your hand. Imagine what it would have been like to have someone drive a nail this big through that nerve, probably severing it and at least bruising it and damaging it. Anybody ever here experience a pinched nerve? Imagine that constantly through both wrists. That nerve would send those, that damaged nerve would send those bolts of electricity, of lightning through you and you feel like you're being shot constantly. And there's a little diagram of that, what it would have been like. So just the, pot, this, the, spear, the spike just piercing the flesh. Next, this is what they would have done. They would have taken him and they would have thrown the piece of wood, the crossbar down, if it was the towel cross. They would have thrown the person on it. They would have ripped the garments off, which would again have restarted blood loss. Because you're going to rip all that scabs and all that clotted blood off. And the blood's going to start flowing again from all those wounds. They're going to stretch them out and they're going to nail them onto the cross and if it was the, the Latin type of cross, they would go ahead and nail the feet and then lift the whole thing up. But if it was a towel cross, then they would lift the crossbar up, and then they would nail the feet. I want you to look at that. That is something that was found in a stone box in 1968 in Jerusalem. Doesn't look like much, but it and other bones. Now, ossuary was found in an ossuary box. An ossuary box. The way they they uh, they buried people is they would first take them and put them in a in a stone tomb, like Jesus was laid in. And after about a year, they would collect the bones and they would transfer them to a stone box for permanent burial. And so they found one of these, and in it was that. That is a human heel bone, and through it is an iron spike. Got a better picture of it here. An iron spike, a nail from crucifixion. This man had been crucified. His name was Yehohanan. Can you imagine what it had been like to having a nail? And they found uh, fragments of wood on the other, on the outside of it. So apparently they drove this spike through a piece of wood, through his heel bone, and into the cross. Can you imagine what it had been like to have one? An angry Roman with a hammer driving a spike through your bone of your heel. So this changes a little bit the way that we think of maybe the crucifixion was actually done. Again, they did things differently all the time. Um, so this hand was apparently crucified like this. So instead of his feet crossed in front of him, his feet were nailed to the sides of the cross through his heels. Now, it's quite possible that he was nailed through the front. It's just we don't know. This particular man was executed like Yohohanan was executed this way. Jesus very well could have been uh, executed with his 
be crossed in front of him. And once the person was up on the cross, that's when the real, the real pain started. Imagine that, the real pain. What would happen is all the body weight would be on your hands and on your feet. On those spikes that were through your flesh. To breathe. Because what would happen, you would have to do something, you would have to pull yourself up. Because when you were in this distended position, when you were pulled down, what it would be like is your pectoral muscles and your intercostal muscles on the side would pull your rib cage apart slightly in the position for, for inhaling. And so when you were down on the cross, you're, you were in a spot where you could not exhale. And so to breathe, you would have to pull up on the nails that were holding your wrist on, push up on the nails which are holding your feet on, just to be able to breathe. Can you imagine what it had been like with those pins, those spikes through your nerves in your hands and having to use those to pull up just to breathe? As you pulled yourself up and down on the cross to breathe, your back would scrape against the, the cross itself, reopening the wounds, causing splinters. The hanging on the cross would, would sometimes cause the shoulders to dislocate. So the only breathing that you could do while you were hanging on the cross and not pulled up was very shallow breathing from your diaphragm, which would lend towards asphyxiation or hyperventilation. So this is the, the, the you would be entered into a, difficult, a terrible cycle as you're on this cross. If you were in the up position and you had pulled yourself up and you'd gotten plenty of oxygen, then your muscles would cramp because you were pulling yourself up. And when that pain got too great, you would relax and you would start to, to asphyxiate. You'd start to die. But the pain would subside because your carbon dioxide and your blood level would rise and it would attenuate that, those cramps. And right before you died, your body would wake yourself up and you'd be forced to pull yourself up again just to breathe. So this was a diabolical cycle, up and down, up and down. And under no circumstances would you be able to escape pain. We have a word for this that we use today. Excruciating. Excruciating is Latin for from the cross. That's the kind of pain that he was under. Again, think he's continually losing blood because he's continually reopening the wounds on his back. He's continuing to lose blood. He's becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. This makes the things that he said from the cross more poignant because you knew that he had to drag himself up to the cross, up into the upright position to be able to speak. He said seven things from the cross. It's amazing what he said. First thing he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then he spoke to the, so he took care of the crowd. Then he turns to the other criminal on one of the crosses and says, you'll be joining me in paradise. He's taking care of someone else around him. And then he says, John, take care of my mom. So he's taking care of his mom. And then he says to God, why have you forsaken me? I think that's a, a reference to Psalm 22. But listen, that's another sermon. 
And finally, the fifth thing that he says, and you can notice that these are getting shorter and shorter and shorter as he gets more and more exhausted. He says, I thirst. And so they give him something to drink. Ironically, the stalk that they used to hand up the, the drink was the same type of stalk that they were going to use later to paint the blood on the cross posts. Next, he says, it is finished. And finally, with one last breath, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So his time on the cross, his time of pain, with one last cry, was over. (laughs) After five, six hours on this cross, pulling himself up and down, getting progressively weaker, he finally died. Now the Romans, they weren't done yet. Because their job there in the crucifixion detail, they had to ensure that the person was dead. And because the time was getting close to the, the end of the day for the Jews, um, what they did is they, the, the, for the other two guys who were still alive, they did something called crucifracture. Which is what they did is they took a big, big metal hammer and they smashed the shins and broke the legs of the people that were on the cross. And because if your legs were broken, you couldn't push up and you would die within a few minutes. But since Jesus was already dead, but they still had to, um, they still had to make sure they pierced him through the side with a spear. I don't know if you can see it very well. I tried to highlight the, the spear tip in red. But what they did is because these, these troops were trained in killing people. They knew exactly how to kill someone. So they stabbed him through the chest, through the lungs, and into the heart. The scripture says that the blood and the uh, the blood and the water came out. And this makes sense. The, the water was most likely fluid, either in his lungs or in the sack around his heart or, in, or inside the pericardium. So that would have been the water that came out, and the blood would have actually been probably from the right or left ventricle of his heart. So, Jesus has died physically on the cross. What caused it? Hypovolemic shock, loss of blood. Exhaustion, asphyxia, which means that he couldn't physically lift himself up to breathe. And at some point, some, some doctors and things have thought that perhaps he had a heart attack up there from all of the distress from being up there. <coughs> Excuse me. This asks the question, why? Why did he have to die this death? Why did he have to suffer this humiliation, this beating, and this death on the cross? Remember, this was the Passover. This is the time when the Jews were celebrating being freed from slavery. They were celebrating being passed over for death. Think about that. Jesus is doing the same. The perfect Lamb of God was killed and sacrificed, just like these Jews would be doing in a, in just a little while later. They were going to paint their doorposts with his blood, with, their, with the Lamb's blood, just as Jesus painted that cross, those posts, with his blood. They did this so death wouldn't win. Death wouldn't take them. And for us, if we believe in Jesus, 
death won't take us. We will rise again just like Jesus rose three days later. In our state now, God won't accept us. But through Jesus, through the blood, through that sacrifice, he will. I can imagine the conversation between Jesus and God because Jesus is the intercessor. What does it mean to intercede? It means to step in and stop something. Jesus stopped us from being separated from God. Can you imagine Jesus talking to God? Telling him, I know what it's like to be down there. They don't know for a fact that we exist. They don't know because they live a life that is full of pain. They live in a broken world where people die, where people do evil things to one another. And because of that, they doubt. They aren't sure. I was there. I understand it. I suffered the worst possible thing that human beings could hand out. I suffered their rejection, and I suffered the worst possible death that a human being can go through. And I still want them. They're mine. Jesus didn't stay dead, of course. He, he rose from the grave and went back to be with Jesus, just like we can. In a few minutes, we're going to take the, the communion here, and I hope as you partake of this communion that it has a little bit more significance for you. That his physical death, his physical life and death on this planet means more to you now. That he is more real to you because you know that he suffered what we suffered. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be a human. We're going to have a song here in just a second. And if, if you need prayer, if you need someone to pray with you, or if you need to partake in the blood, if you need to step through that doorway through the cross to be free from death, please don't hesitate. Join us as we stand and sing.